I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. Did you guys see last week Ash Brazel played for her super netball team Collingwood on the Friday in Queensland and then played Saturday afternoon in Melbourne at Docklands, clocked up a nice 19 disposals and was one of their best. Have you ever seen anything as good as that? She wouldn't have to warm up for the second game. She'd they should be good do the same go. uniform. Imagine if she could just wear the same stripes. I remembered to wear next. underwear today. That was my highlight. <laughs> At least her nails would have been cut ready for football. That's true. That's amazing. She was, that was a good effort. But did you see Tiana Ernst? I mean, and given she probably just delivered like 10 babies, she went to a family wedding and then to get to the game, she caught a helicopter. Oh my god, that's oh like my that's like Peter Hudson in like '74, I think it was, when they flew him in by helicopter from Tasmania. He hadn't played all year. Came in, played for the game, and I think he kicked like 47 goals. Was that <laughs> half-time <laughs> entertainment? <laughs> was that back when the male players had to have jobs? Yeah, yeah, back in the good old days. A helicopter would be good to get from Vic Park to Whitten Oval this weekend. Needed. If the Outer Sanctum ever get a helicopter to a game, you we've know we've totally <laughs> drunk out. the bathwater, haven't we? <laughs> She's a dominant force. If there is a weak spot out there, she can actually turn that around and use it to your advantage. At the top of the goal square, she kicks it. She snaps a spectacular tumbling goal. And the Simon. Groundbreakers. History makers. This is The Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. This is it. We are into the last round of the AFLW for 2019. There is, of course, finals, a prelim and a, and a grand final to come. But you, gorgeous Sanctum, as you have grabbed your friends and grabbed your footies and you have gone to games and we have loved it so much. Let's not cry because it's over. Let's cry. Let's be happy because it happened. Is that how it goes? <laughs> um, I am your host, Emma Race, and I will let my Sanctum sister co-hosts introduce themselves. Good morning. It is Lucy Race here. Hey there, Nicole Hayes here. I'm pumped. It's Alicia sometimes. And why not? Why wouldn't we introduce Shiloh oh. Curtis? She's already in the house. Hi. I mean... I was just waiting for my, 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 my regular... I just have to normally sit through all the sisters <laughs> and then I come in later on. But I'm happy to I'm happy to announce that I actually also am in the room. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm breaking with some radio conventions because we are going to be talking to you um, about all of the goings on in the AFLW finals. We It can roll any which way um, this weekend, which is very exciting. There's so many permutations and combinations and we actually did need you to come in because you're our AFLW expert and so you'll actually be able to do the maths on that. But in addition to Shiloh, we will be speaking to the captain of the GWS Giants, Amanda the Fridge Ferrugia, who last night, those girls had an emotional and beautiful win over Geelong. Um, it was heartbreaking for the Cats. It was potentially season-ending. <coughs> 
it's yeah. hard to know. Well, it's hard to know. Still, it's it's still complicated, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but uh, So we will be catching up with Amanda Frugia and we're also going to catch up with the coach of North Melbourne, Scott Gowans. He's in WA and we'll be speaking to him ahead of this massive game when North meet Frio tonight. He's been um, quite an exceptional, he's had an exceptional season and he's a lovely man. I can't wait to speak to him. And today we want to know, we've been messaging each other about this all week, who makes all Australian? We have seen the season roll out. There has been some standouts. And every time I see Jess Duffin on the wing, mm. I go, that girl has had the most amazing season. But there's been so many contenders. Can Maddie Presbarkas make All-Australian and also be Rising Star? You know, Are there rules this, against that? Or no, that... I don't think so. I think she can collect all of the awards if she likes. Lucy, who would make your All-Australian? Well, going first, I have to say Erin Phillips because she'd be the first one you'd pick. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. She's had a great season. What about you, Nicole? I mean, the obvious is Emma Carney, but I'm a big fan of Kiara Bowers. And, you know, she's been amazing down at Freo. And what a difference she's made to that team being well and fit. Mm. What about you, Alicia? It's seven foot tall, Emma King. Oh, she's mm. had an amazing yep. season. Loving. She's been great, hasn't she? Shiloh? Uh, my vote is for Anne Hatchard over at the Adelaide Crows. Yes. I think she's been uh, that third midfielder that they've needed. Um, she's freed up Marinoff, who you'd also put in that list. Yeah. Um, Phillips, uh, their midfielders. Almost unbeatable. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. Who do you I'm, cover? Who do you cover? And like how, a do wall. You, which midfielders do you have to cover all of those three? You cover one, and the other two take over. Yeah, it's, it's like a giant game of whack a mole. Absolutely, <laughs> that's what happens there. You're listening to the Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. Last night, GWS won comprehensively to take out the end of the season. It was an emotional night with the players wearing black armbands and observing a minute's silence for the victims in Christchurch. GWS also farewelled the reigning MVP, everybody's favourite player, Courtney Gum, in her <laughs> final game. We are so excited to welcome the captain of the Giants, Amanda the Fridge Ferrugia. How are you, Fridge? you good? <laughs> I'm um, very well. Thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, last night was a, a nice way to end a, a very up and down season. And, you know, we're glad um, with the chain of events that took place yesterday that we could get the win and bring attention to some of the travesties that are happening um, over in New Zealand. Uh, and also from a football perspective, um, farewell, somebody who's given a lot to our club. So it was a pretty emotional night. Um, you know, it was important for us to get the win for Hanine and make sure that we um, support her because um, finding out about what had happened over there um, and then having to play a game of football would have been pretty tough for her. So um, it was important that we got around her and um, she had an outstanding game. She really did. Um, it was said during the coverage that Al McConnell spoke to you about what had happened. Obviously, it was um, on everybody's minds anyway. Can you tell us a little bit about how that kind of impacted your preparation? Um, yes, yeah, so throughout the day, obviously, we, we had a lot of downtime. And um, over the course of the day, girls had gotten word that something had happened uh, in New Zealand and the, the enormity of it hadn't been made clear until probably two hours before the game when we found out how um, significant the, the victim toll was. And prior to the game, um, just after our first team meeting, Alan said that tonight we would be wearing black armbands um, as a show of solidarity with um, the Muslim community. But um, most importantly for us to make sure that Hanine knew that we were behind her and we took the, the situation very seriously and um, that she knew that we stood firm with her and in understanding that, um, you know, we are all the same and we are an inclusive club and we would never let something like this um, divide us. And we definitely wanted to make sure that she felt okay about things as well. Um, Hanine's a pretty quiet, um, modest, humble individual. And I think last night was quite emotional for her, but um, she definitely doesn't show that on the outside. She definitely lets her playing do the talking. 
Um, Amanda, we saw Hanine actually kick her first goal in AFLW last night. That must have been a nice moment for her. It was. It was, again, Hanine is um, very modest and downplays all of her achievements. And um, I think that comes through in most of the things that she does. So the fact that she scored the goal, she didn't get too up and about. Everybody else was, but she was pretty tame. Um, And I think that allows her to just keep a level head. And it was great that she could... um, some reward for effort because she has had an outstanding season and um, getting a goal is a nice little individual reward, but it does wonderful things for the team as well. I'd like to sort of ask you about um, your motivation when um, the finals aren't on the line. Mm. How do you actually get up as a team? Like what, what actually fired you up last night in terms of um, how you played on field? We've spoken several times this season about what we feel like we've been missing this year. And there's obviously something that's quite different between um, last year and this year in terms of the way we go about our week-to-week business. And um, I think a very important moment uh, over the weekend was on uh, the night before game day. So I think it was Thursday night. We watched um, snippets of our uh, game last year in camp against the Western Bulldogs. And one thing that was glaringly obvious between that game and how we've been playing this year is the way that we were relentless at defensive efforts that allowed us to then platform and spring uh, springboard our offensive uh, efforts. So we're talking like like smothers and tackles and we had this connection and we knew that, you know, when it was your time to go and when it was your turn to do something for the team. And, and I've watched that game before, but watching it as a group and identifying all those little elements was quite an eye-opening moment. And I just thought to myself, that's what we've been missing this year. And I think we all just kind of looked at each other simultaneously and said if we can do that tomorrow then we can pretty much beat anyone and from the moment that the, the first centre bounce went on and I saw the, the attack and pressure of our midfielders unfortunately we came away with a win. It was a really emotional night for a lot of reasons we mentioned um, Courtney Gum retiring How mm. did, did she let you know I know that there was an insta post that yeah. seemed uh, to be uh, the writing on the wall but did she talk to the team before she went out? I don't think she spoke to the team I think she had a few chats with um, a few individuals here and there over the course of the last couple of weeks at training and that kind of thing. So it wasn't like she didn't make a big deal about it, but eventually word got out and Alan found out about it. So he made mention that this wouldn't be a fair way to um, send off one of the stalwarts of our team and somebody who's devoted so much and sacrificed a lot in her personal life to play AFLW. And there were all, all these little, little individual stories that took place last night that made the win much more special. And for someone like Courtney, she, she deserves the win and she's played with courage and um, elite skill across two seasons and just no better way that I could think of um, than to send her off with a win like that. Amanda, you talked about the amazing midfield. What about Elise Parker and uh, how how she shined? What's her journey been like with GWS? Yeah, Elise is a fantastic young person and uh, a relentless pursuit to want to make sure that she can impact and brave, she's skillful, she's determined. Uh, I think the best thing about a young player is um, is to not assume that you have everything figured out. Um, she, you know, she's come from a place where she was considered, you know, one of the best players in, in, in the nation, but she hasn't walked into the football club with that kind of chip on her shoulder. She's, she knows what her weaknesses are, she knows what her strengths are, and she definitely uses them to her advantage. So she has a very, very long and prosperous career in the AFLW, and my hope one day is that when I'm long retired, she will lead this club well into the future and hopefully to um, some premierships. 
um, Elise Parker was amazing last night, but I have to say, when I watch GWS, I cannot take my eyes off of Von Bonner and Cora <laughs> Staunton. They bring a storyline to this entire competition, but specifically to your team this year. Yes. They have yep. just taken it on. And Yvonne Bonner, I mean, she, you just want her to have the ball just to see what she can do. Last night was no exception. Do those, are they a little cohort? Do they hang out together and... Or... It's interesting. Like, obviously when Yvonne came here, Cora, Cora's the kind of person who will take anyone under their wing if they look, if they see Mike or appear like they need a little bit of help or guidance. She's just that kind of nature. And so obviously when somebody who is Irish um, in her, the same situation as Cora comes over here, she definitely took on that role and made sure Yvonne had everything that she needed to, to play good football. And uh, Yvonne's a, a grown woman and she's played elite sport before, so she understands what it takes to be the best. And the thing about their background is that they probably haven't been overcoached from an AFL sense, so they don't do typical AFL things, and that makes them unpredictable and exciting. Um, so defenders often don't know what they're going to do, where they're going to run to, um, or how they're going to kick the ball. I mean, Yvonne looks like she's going to kick a drop punt and then goes around the body and kicks it like a rugby kick, and I don't even know what direction it's going in. But, I mean, it's probably a bad thing that we don't know where it's going to get kicked, but at the same time, the defenders have absolutely no idea either. So I guess it works through our advantage, and like, they've been absolutely electric for us this year. And, um, in, in complimenting as well, Christine Bernardi and some of our smalls have been outstanding. It's um, it's taken a little bit of time for the for that group to gel, but I think um, you know, towards the latter part of the season, they really put some good form on the board, and um, we had some better scoring efforts. So we're hopeful that we'll be able to uh, recontract them again next year, and um, who knows, there might be more Irish talent coming into the AFLW in years to come. I'm sure there will be. That was another question I had about player retention. We've got two, uh, four more franchises um, that will be in the competition next year. Yeah. Is that something that as the captain you kind of try and make sure that everyone feels very at home and especially the players you don't want to be having conversations with other clubs? Do you take that on? Um, our situation is very unique in Sydney. We are a non-traditional AFL state and we've got players predominantly from interstate or overseas, which, and uh, obviously we know that AFLW is one-year contracts as well. So that's a very unique situation in that every year is, you know, it's got a little bit of nervousness coming around to sign on time about who's staying and who's going. And at no point does anyone ever leave the Giants because of a, a culture or a or an issue to do with them not feeling welcomed or not enjoying the place. It's more about that Sydney is a really expensive place to live and the AFLW incomes aren't supporting that cost of living at the moment. And that is an unfortunate reality that I think needs to be looked at into the future because if we're going to be able to to stay competitive, um, we need to have a little bit more support. And I think the Gold Coast Suns next year are going to feel that as well. I don't think West Coast will have a problem. They're quite... Quite, doing quite well over there in Western Australia has lots of um, young football talent coming through, as does New South Wales. But I think the AFL really needs to look at that because if you want an even competitive league, um, then I think every team has to have everything that they need. And equity is not always about giving everyone the same. Sometimes it's about giving some more to particular teams to, to level out the playing field. So I think the AFL does need to look at that, and I've spoken about that several times. Um, and uh, I've spoken to the PA about it as well. So hopefully in the years to come, that's rectified because we want to retain the best players. Um, we want to have uh, a strong competition with the best AFLW players playing. And the only way you can do that is to make sure that you can get an equal number of elite players across all the clubs rather than stacking Victorian clubs. I wanted to ask, I saw you interviewed post-match um, and mm. Kath Laughlin called you Fridge. <laughs> and I thought, do you ever have a moment where you think, how did I end up with this nickname? <laughs> it's such a funny um, nickname. It is a funny nickname. And to be honest with you, it is, I don't think, there's a lot of people who don't know my name 
they just know me as Fridge. And <laughs> yeah. Definitely, it, no, honestly, it really is a nickname that just stuck like glue from the very beginning. And the reason I got it is for no other reason than when I went to my club football team and introduced myself, I, I was obviously a bit nervous and I said my surname too quickly and um, they didn't quite hear it. And apparently Fridge was what they interpreted Fridgia <laughs> to be. And so that's where it's come from. And, you know, in whatever football circle I move in, um, that quickly learn that there is a nickname of Fridge, even though I introduced myself as Amanda. And yeah, so I'm, I'm fine with it. I have no issues with it whatsoever. And uh, one day when I stop playing football, I'll probably miss being called Fridge. Everyone and, and, needs a Fridge. Yeah, especially standing in the outer watching you. That's great. You're a precious commodity. You are. You're our favourite of all the white goods playing in the AFLW. <laughs> you are our favourite. Amanda Fridge, thank you so much for joining us on the Outer Sanctum. Congratulations on season three of AFLW. And we cannot wait to see you run out again next year. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for your support of women's football. Really appreciate it very much. I'm Emma Carney and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Thanks, Emma Carney. We are loving getting your messages um, about who you think should be in the All-Australian team. That team is just you get a blazer and you stand on stage, right? Like you don't Mm -hmm. actually play. No. No. I don't think you actually play. Um, I know there used to be tours for the AFLM but not for the AFLW. So here are some of the messages we're getting. Nat Exxon deserves a spot in the national team having a cracker season. That's from Meg. The ladies at Giants Women Say, which is another fantastic AFLW podcast, um, say yippee and hi. Hi. Hi, guys. They're on their way to Bendigo. Um, They celebrated last night with all of the GWS (laughs) girls. Of course they did. And congratulations to you guys on an epic season. Your first. It's really hard doing your first season of podcasting. People are actually listening. Their microphone was on. (laughs) We've also got another message from Pete saying Tegan Cunningham, absolutely. Karen Paxman, Ashmore and Bonner, if she's eligible. I like that he thinks maybe she's not because of citizenship. (laughs) What if they did have like a touring team? There are five Irish women playing in the competition. Sarah Rowe at Collingwood. Um, Imagine if that happened. They might need a few more players. I know. They'd have to have some like an extended bench for the Australians (laughs) because the Irish girls would go and play for Ireland against us. Would they? No, we'd keep them. Player retention. Come I on, Charlie. I Back don't the think they'd let that happen. <laughs> they could all stay um, at their um, family's houses. Oh, they could bill it them out. Bill them out. We're always looking for cost-cutting measures in the AFLW. Lucy, have you got some um, suggestions for all Australian women? Uh, yes, from Twitter. Glenn on Twitter says Kate Lutkins should be a shoo-in down back and her teammate Ali Anderson should get a gig in the midfield. And I agree with you, Glenn. Um, Sean on Twitter says Meg McDonald. Mm. Megan McDonald. That Megan McDonald story has been an extraordinary one, but it does give me the greatest pleasure to welcome formally, <laughs> even though you've been here since the Thank start, you. the AFLW expert for ABC Grandstand, Shiloh Curtis. How are you, Shy? I'm really amazing. My head is a little bit fuzzy with all the mathematical calculations, and I love mathematical calculations. And oh, oh yeah, I love mathematical. You know, we're still mathematically in it. So mm. I love the fact that you know, on the Insta story this morning from the Outer Sanctum, Carlton's going, come in, and I'm like, oh, guys, no, not yet. Mathematically, Carlton still think, not Carlton there. Thinks they're. Probably a chance. It's to looking. Be in. It's looking pretty good. It's but, looking good. But Very I, good. It's like doing a Sudoku. You know, when you don't, you can't. Just, you know, unless it's an absolute. I'm not going to put my money on it. So there are a lot of games this weekend that will decide what we see. Do you? As a, this is a big opening question. Whoa. Is it fair? Is it fair what we're going to see happen? The fact that we're because playing our preliminary final round today because we've basically got what next week should be in round seven. Is mm, that fair? It's really interesting. Well, one. you know, I'm sensing a vibe here. Well, it's just it's not a just world, and I often think about that. And and you know that 
um, whole just world belief theory. Like, you know, it's a thing. Look, if you're Melbourne or North, imagine if North misses out. If you're North, it's definitely not fair, is it? The best four teams should be playing next week, not this week. Well, they should play this week as well, Mm. but they should be playing next week. And I actually wonder, I just, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes because there's a potential loss of revenue here. Mm. There's a grand final bonus or, you know, premiership bonus. Mm. And and so if you're in the best four teams in the competition, but you can't give an opportunity, there's something, there is something unfair about that. Having said that, we've talked about having just one ladder, which they probably should have done, but we've got these two ladders. So it means that as going into last night's game, seven teams could make the finals and we're having all of this conversation and we're running around with all this stuff in our heads potentially it wouldn't be like that if we didn't have two ladders so it's kind of fun to I, talk about it I I'm seeing wonder, the opportunity in it I do wonder whether the amount that we're talking about it and the, uh, the amount of teams that are still possible to play finals offsets for the AFL what might be seen as disadvantage you know when we see who actually plays in the finals well yeah and I yeah I, I just hope in those first uh, that first final weekend, that that the games are really strong and competitive yeah. and interesting mm, and, and engaging, and, and that media jumps on board that they don't abandon ship because they think it's going to be a bit one sided. Yeah. You know, to be honest, like let's back in Pool B. I mean, you know, they've had to slog it out. They had really tough few weeks. And finals footy is a completely different style of footy. Yeah. Anything can happen in finals, and everyone's the most fatigued that they've been all season. If your injuries are right, mm. finals are funny, and mm. they put a pressure on thing on people, potentially Pool A people teams could go in thinking we've got something to lose. And that's a whole other team you're mm, playing. You're playing against two teams, yourself and the opposition. Some of my best friends are in Conference B. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm, just I'm saying. not bad-mouthing Conference B here. I don't have a bias over the conferences. Well, and, you know, one of the things that we have seen over this competition over all three seasons is um, how teams actually do improve. Mm. And so perhaps teams are really going to hit their straps in the finals. This afternoon... There is a big game out at Casey with Adelaide and Melbourne. Adelaide is just looking like the favourite and they actually do have something to lose. Melbourne, having missed out on finals the last two seasons, pretty much on percentage, are in a really tough position. And when I look at this game, I think, how on earth do you do it? Adelaide is bringing back Courtney Cramey, which is just going to strengthen an already strong team. Whereas, you know, Melbourne, I think last week found something in that game. They were really challenged by the Bulldogs and found something where in the past they might not have. And, you know, we had Eden Zanker and Tegan Cunningham kick really clutch goals. So I think there's there's some hope there. But what are your thoughts on this game, Shires? Oh, that's it's such a defining game, this game, isn't it? And and I think you're right. Adelaide loses to Mo- this afternoon and potentially they're out. They're by far the best team in the competition. Absolutely. I've, I've never seen a women's football team play football like they're playing. They are absolutely phenomenal in every zone of the ground. Their disposal efficiency is absolutely brilliant. Um, they're so skillful, so fit. And I called their game last week um, and I found – I could hear their voice because we were calling from the grandstand and I could hear their voice – so clearly on the field they're just so in tune with each other and smooth and they don't really have any injuries Kramer's is the only one that's really been out they obviously lost, lost Metcalf but geez they've found one in Foley haven't they mm. in Jess Foley so for me you know, they've got everything to lose and Melbourne have got absolutely nothing to lose they've got mm. everything to gain so they potentially still could make it they if they win today and their percentage isn't terrible they're sitting at 148 percent um kangaroos 
Fraser on 143, Fremantle on 133. Their percentage is a bit of an issue. But potentially if Melbourne wins today and they can up their percentage a touch, they drop Adelaide's percentage down as a result. And then it comes down to the Kangaroos-Frio game. The winner of that game will be number one spot on the ladder. So, But if Adelaide wins, you know, they've got they've got a home mm. final, hopefully, at Adelaide Oval to play for. Mm. I, in tonight's game um, in Fremantle, the Dockers will take on North. And, you know, I was going big to say game. big, big game. So as you say, Shai, um, it could be depending on the outcome of Adelaide, it could be about top spot or second spot. But either way, this is a finals contending match. You know, we've seen some amazing work from Cara Bowers, Ebony Antonio. We've seen, you know, Cara Donnellan's been doing her job, Dana Hooker. That matchup with Emma Carney, which would be pretty, uh, I think, pretty exciting. Um, just what North Melbourne's been doing down forward with Caitlin Ashmore and Emma King just finding her her role there and, and just def- redefining it, really. I think it's very helpful for Fremantle. I think the long travel um, at this end of the season for North is going to challenge them. I'm a little bit concerned that North had easy games early. Mm-hmm. And so whereas you look at Adelaide, they had that one-point loss in round one. They've had to really slog it out a little bit and they've gotten better and better and better and better slowly. Melbourne's had to slog it out. Fremantle's had to slog it out. But North kind of had it easy. The last few weeks have been good, but they've had, you know, they had the Melbourne game. They've had, that that was a four-point win. They had to really grind that one out. The Adelaide game they lost, Mm. and that was a hard game. That was such, but it was such a good, a well-skilled game of footy, but yet another really challenging game. And now they've got to play a final this weekend against Fremantle, essentially. Mm. So they've had three weeks of really high-pressure footy. Now, whether that has prepped them or whether that's fatigued them physically and mentally, plus the travel... I don't know. So these are all the considerations that you try and manage as a coach and, a, and a, as a leadership team. But Who do you think are the game changers for, in this match? You know, the impact of Bowers and Carney, how, how they can influence each other, like nullify each other's games, but also make sure that they're part of the reason why the ball goes inside 50. I think that's important. I think the ruck contest there will be critical. We know that Fremantle's efficiency numbers through the middle of the ground and the back half of the ground are middle of the road in terms mm. of the competition. But when they go inside 50, they're extremely efficient. So if you're um, Scott Gowans, you're probably trying to limit the number of inside 50s because they just they just do find the scoreboard. There's a lot of kids you've got to cover there with Gibson and young Sabrina Duffy. Uh, I love the move of Antonio from back to forward. It's a real statement about the style of footy they want to play. Uh, I think I think it's Fremantle's forward line that's going to be the difference. But again, I think North Melbourne's probably got greater depth through every zone across the field. So they'll be more consistent across the field. It just depends on whether or not Fremantle's defenders can, can manage the forwards. At Vic Park. Another beautiful game at Victoria Park, Alicia. Your pies are taking on the Lions. <laughs> My pies. Your pies. <laughs> Vicky Park, Lions. Um, really interesting. Paige Parker, Emma Pittman and Lauren Baller have been named. And there is a mathematical chance for the Lions to win. So I'm going to say for Collingwood there, but no. <laughs> no, mathematical chance for – they can come fourth. Um, well, unless it's like some kind of salary cap breach and then everyone loses their points and then Collingwood's in. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So in Parker, Pittman, Baller, out. Kasler for injury, Clark for injury, and it says, and Collingwood omitted, but of course they mean the player, not the team. Um, the Pies <laughs> will be uh, without Ross, who suffered a sprained ankle. Um, but That's big for them. Look, they haven't done anything of note, Collingwood, and um, <laughs> to say the least, uh, this season, I'm Shana's sorry. looking perplexed. She's got a hand on her heart. Yeah, she might but, cry. But, but I'm, I am sincerely hoping with all my heart that they, you know, they get up because you see passages of play that are quite amazing and obviously there's some great players. What do you think their chances are tomorrow? 
the pies of winning? Uh, I think they're a good chance, actually. And I think they've had some good momentum builds in the last few weeks. I know Wayne's really invested in, in playing the kids, Wayne and Jane. I think that's a great, lovely <laughs> Wayne name. And Jane. Wayne and Jane. It's a kids Wayne and Jane. You know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago that they're the first club to officially say they're on a rebuild. And I think that's uh, – look, I think that's fa- fantastic. They, they recruited that way. Um, they've put some time into Guthridge. She finally has gotten on the park. Um, it's a shame that Ross can't get another game yeah. under her belt. But um, they've got really good young kids and they use the ball really well by foot. I think they're learning about – the game has changed this year totally. Mm. Um, the difference is skill now. You can't play surge footy and try and win the game anymore no. like we saw with Brisbane in the last few years and, and, and the Giants probably struggled a bit that way this year as well. Collingwood is – if you've got a long – if your ratio of short kicking to long kicking – is quite different. It's challenging because people are maintaining possession because there's much more one-on-one footy, and I think the boundary throw-ins ten metres in um, has made a massive impact. You need to make sure you maintain possession because if you turn the footy over with inefficient disposal off a boundary throw-in, you're in the corridor, and that's a really bad result. Mm. Collingwood are learning to play a shorter kicking game at different times. I just want to see them play that more consistently. Yeah, so. Brisbane, again, have got everything to play for. Collingwood, you know, it's another learning and development game. Wayne's going to want to win a game of footy, absolutely. But he's so committed to development and investing yeah. in his young athletes that, you know, he'd, he'd be happy, happy to not lose if he could find some individual wins for the players' development. Yeah, that's good. Now, that's tough for the supporters, though. That's a really hard thing to take home at the end of a season, isn't it? And we have yeah. seen with Collingwood the last couple of seasons that they have actually really formulated their game plan towards the towards end of the, the season. I know it's so short. But um, another team that I think is going to really capitalise on that is Carlton going into tonight's uh, going into the Pride game tomorrow where they play Western Bulldogs. And, again, I think Western Bulldogs have a lot to play for, um, a lot of pride on the line being the reigning premiers. And they're a really good side. Brooke Lachlan's back in, of course, at the Pride game last year. She tore it a new one. That was the that was her coming <laughs> out. Me? Like it was the most beautiful <laughs> and amazing, exceptional game. And she really staked her claim on that game. And um, the Blues had it had an absolute hell night. And it is really intimidating going to the Witten Oval. So tomorrow night's Pride game is going to be a, a really big one, a big test for both teams because I think in my mind I see that Carlton has really started to um, – they're, they're, they're going in unchanged. They feel really confident, obviously. They've got great strength across their ground. They need to hit the scoreboard just a little bit more than they have been, but their defensive structures I think are excellent, probably – I reckon some of the best in the competition and so I'm really interested to know Shai how wrong I've just got that summation (laughs) (laughs) and it's just my passion talking. Well I think the thing when I saw Carlton play against Shalong in the practice match pre-season the thing that I did notice was their skills were better um, and they were fitter. I still think they play that I think their balance of inside and outside football needs a bit more I feel I'd like them to play a bit more outside footy uh, around that uh, yeah and so I think they're, they're still doing some work I think they're still on the rebuild and doing that development piece but they've been very impressive the Bulldogs yeah again I, I don't feel like their game plan's changed I don't think they've changed it very much from last year it's still quite a long kicking game if we can't impact the scoreboard we'll just shut the game down with lots of stoppages <laughs> and congestion and um, I find that a little bit frustrating. So I just don't see there's, an, there's been an evolution in their game plan, whereas I think Carlton have. Again, Carlton got a lot to play for. I think it's a pride game. I think it's almost a home game for every, everyone that's going to yeah. go down there. So, look, I think Carlton will enjoy the opportunity to play in front of a big crowd. They've got lots to play for. They've got lots to celebrate. They've had a great season. You know, the Dogs bringing in Huntington and, and Lachlan so late in the season, probably not, not enough to get enough cohesion in that forward mm. line. And it's good to see Izzy... Um, 
Was he play some good footy last week? She touched yep. the ball a little bit. But an ACL is is a two-year injury. Uh, it's yeah. first year's physical. You're out for a year. The second year, mentally, it just takes a year to get confidence in your body again. Um, so it's just going to take her some time to get her body right and confident in her body again. So a little bit disappointing from the from the Bulldogs this year. I just think their game plan probably hasn't evolved as the game has. As we love to talk about on the Outer Sanctum, the footy is not just what happens on the field. Of course, the Pride game will be enormous for um, a lot of people who listen to this program. And we just got a beautiful SMS, not a text about the All-Australian. Just want to say that as a queer woman and a social justice advocate and a believer in the dignity and rights of all people, I'm deeply excited about Sunday's Pride match between the Dogs and the Blues. I went last year and I've never been to a public sporting event where the majority would probably probably not be LGBTIQ and feel so safe, so empowered and so free to see men walk the boundary at Witten Oval holding hands and women openly affectionate without the fear of being harassed and trans and non-binary people feel safe enough to beat the footy. Also incredible and brilliant. Pride match means so much more than a novelty to so many people. We feel like we belong. Well done, AFLW, for leading the way. Lots of love, Pep. Thanks oh, for that, what Pep. A great message. It means a lot. And there was something beautiful in the paper yesterday, Alicia. Yeah, today... Uh, Darcy Vessio is not only a great player but a great writer and I just want to read just this little bit that she wrote. Tomorrow tomorrow I'm wearing my pride jumper for the people who build the space I thrive in today. I'm wearing it for the trans child in country Victoria. I'm wearing it for the girl who doesn't know herself yet. I'm wearing it to start a conversation among future allies. I'm wearing it for those who are trying so hard to blend in. I'm wearing it for those who fabulously stand out. I'm wearing it for the AFL players who can't yet come out publicly. I'm wearing it for me. I'm wearing it for you. That was oh, beautiful. beautiful. Darcy's really found her voice. She I think is. this, which has also been a really lovely byproduct of the of the season. Shy, before we let you go, we do want to talk to you about Erin Phillips. How good is she? Just how good is Erin Phillips? Oh, in my call Give last week. <laughs> oh, yeah, in my call last week, I actually said we will all look back and be so appreciative that we got to see Erin play and. You know, your daughters who, you know, we talk about this and we're about your, your three girls and, you know, they don't realise what they've got. And But they feel like they're almost going to be too young to really appreciate what Emma is. But I'm so pleased, Erin is, but I'm so pleased that we are all having this experience because she was forced to leave the game for 19 years. That's the bit that's extraordinary. She was forced to leave the game. If she was a, if she was a boy, if her name was Eric and not Erin... She would have been a hometown hero Mm -hmm. and um, she was forced to leave the game. She had no choice. She had to go and play basketball because nothing else was on offer for her in footy and I think that's an absolute travesty. I love the fact that she's come home and doing what she's doing but she's getting better and better. We all get to enjoy that because she is – she is the future of football. She's a future. She's a sort of prototype of what the, our future athletes will be. And um, I, I, I love calling. I called a game last week. I, I, it's just beautiful to watch her play. And it's yeah, I, I could talk about it forever. She's just phenomenal. Oh. So it's um, a re- it I feel is a very, real... I feel very grateful that I mm. that I've gotten to experience Erin. It's a loss that we didn't have her playing in those nineteen years, not just for women but also for Eric's, because there's not a lot of Eric's that have really shone in the AFL. <laughs> and I think. Every- Everyone in Ad- all the Eric's in Adelaide would have really loved to. You can't be it if you can't just taken, see it. You know, really, you know my 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 how earnest I am. You've just taken this moment of gratitude and gone. Let's make that a joke. Thanks. I'm sorry, Charlotte. The sisterhood, come on. Only the sisterhood can do that, right? Um, totally. And also, player movement. We're going to see four new teams hit mm, the park yeah. next year: Richmond, St Kilda, West. 
Coast and Gold Coast. Have you got any um, any clues of who's going where? No, I've got nothing on it yet. So <laughs> oh, uh, no. I know that's not true. No, look, I don't. And I think, uh, look, uh, what I think we'll start to see is some more traditional footballers come back into the game. I think clubs will start to, given what we've seen this year about the importance of foot skills, uh, I think we'll start to see some girls that might not have made it because they're traditional footballers as opposed to athletes. Uh, you know, with four more teams, they've got to find a 120 new players and I just don't know there's the 120 new players in the AF, in the under-18 system at this point. So the big girls that missed out last year that will get a crack. Um, some cross-coders will be th- sort of two or three years and I think it takes three years to become a player um, to, for, to have your breakout season. So we'll start to see some good breakout seasons. The tricky bit is, you know, for the girls that have just picked up, you know, in their local park and play at their club down the road because I don't know any better about how to get up the pathway. There'll be hidden gems in suburban footy mm-hmm. somewhere that have just picked up the, the game at their local club not realising actually how good they are. Mm-hmm. And so the trick is how do we get those girls to be found and then filtered up into VFL teams and high-performance programs and the like. So I think we'll see a lot of new talent. We'll see a lot of forgotten talent that will get a second opportunity. Uh, And the under-18 kids are just getting better and better, so it's pretty exciting. Okay, let's roll up our long sleeves and melee, ladies. You know that you're hitting the zeitgeist when you're listening to ABC Melbourne and you hear Jacinta Parsons say this to the Prime Minister. Did you guys hear this? Um, and I know everybody's looking forward to the start of the season yes. next week when Richmond and Carlton take the field. So I think that'll be, you know, I'm the NRL starts. Well, the AFLW so season's already kicked off, Prime Minister. But uh, yes, we're looking forward to the starting of the men's season as well. <laughs> she totally Gold. showed him, didn't she? Gold. Field. Yes. Yes, the AFL season did already start. But, you know, I saw that did actually turn into a whole conversation on Twitter because there was a tweet by um, Offsiders and that said footy's back or one of those kinds of incarnations, which, of course, cops the wrath of lots of people, and rightly so, because mm. footy has been around since January. But I saw Kato Halloran, um, prominent journalist and broadcaster, getting completely harassed about this and Robbo saying to her, can you stop um, did he say complaining? You're always complaining, you're Kate. Always criti- Kate. You're always critical, Kate. Mm. And being critical like that is okay because she's so positive about mm. it all the other times. That's something that we do need to be critical about, I, th- I believe. Mm. Yeah, there's constructive criticism and then there's just running something down. And she's genuinely invested in making the game better, as a lot of people are. And mm. they're not the ones that we need to be questioning their, you know, their incentive and, and why they are, their motivation for asking hard questions that need to be asked. It's a, it's a really interesting one because I, I tweeted something else out last weekend about the fact that the AFLW games had been moved from the main footy channel on pay TV to make way for the men's practice games. And before I sent that tweet, I thought very long and hard about whether I wanted to, you know, deal with the replies for the next, you know, few days and knowing what they would be. In the course of that discussion, I did tweet it and, you know, there were lots of people that came back at me and uh, one of the themes, yeah, (laughs) one of the themes was that, Oh, for goodness sake, just be grateful. And we do such a great job. You should be really happy that it's being shown anyway and just deal with it. The reason that I'd made the point about it is because in the same way that language matters, the way that you position things and actions that you take, priorities that you give in terms of facilities or the way that you promote certain things, all sends a message. And I think all of that is really important stuff. And things that if we don't talk about them, they're not going to change. And it got me thinking about criticism. And I'd heard a really interesting segment on The Guilty Feminist, which was a whole episode about criticism. Deborah Francis White was talking about a situation where she 
received some criticism and she took it really badly and, you know, was really defensive about it. And then sort of went through the process of over a few days thinking about it and actually came to the, to the point that criticism is actually what's helped her make her show better. It's made it helped her make her show more intersectional and more inclusive. And at the end, by the end of this episode, it kind of comes to a point that if while we're really defensive when we're first, when we first get criticism, what it actually does is help you to drive change and to, to, you know, be very clear about why you're doing something, to question biases, question the way that things have been done. And I think it's a really interesting conversation to put into football because I think we're reluctant sometimes to criticise things about AFLW um, that are on field. We might, you know, be extra critical about other things. But the thing that's guiding, and I think this comes back to your point, Nick, is that we're doing it because from a great love. So we're doing it because we love this game so much and also because we've got a vision of where we want it to be in the future and we see that this is one way of getting there. Mm. The worst kind of criticism is being ignored and I have been really frustrated by the coverage on some of our mainstream media leading into this series of games that are all basic finals. And, you know, the, I looked at the the Fairfax front page and there was no coverage at all. There was one story about Aaron Phillips as a possible W award player, but the, everything else was all AFL-M. And this is at a time when it hasn't started yet, just reminding everyone in case you didn't realise. Um, the ABC wasn't a lot better. The the TV news did not mention anything and the entire sporting segment was about um, the AFL captain's launch uh, it was a really long segment too, and we saw it a time and again. Even Caroline Wilson, when she was critiquing the AFL marketing theatre about the whole will the grand final move thing, actually said, equally, the grand final debate has been an easy distraction in dull times like these when no football to speak of has taken place and the game's biggest talking points have been drugs, untried new rules, allegedly overpaid executives and Gil McLaughlin's now secret salary. So I feel mm. like there has been some football and this consistent sort of approach of either ignoring um, the game or just basically not acknowledging it or just having these token stories about it. It's very frustrating to watch and it does reinforce that same message that you're talking about, Lucy. Can we flip it on its head? How many times have we said about the AFL, oh, you know, that player did X, uh, the talk about when the final, the grand final might be, or we criticise a particular rule or a particular team or a particular culture or a particular thing. We criticise the men's all the time and men and women do that. The other thing is, again, flip it. The Twitter profile, man who has it all, uh, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> always says, you know, I'm so happy being in my house and, and um, a man's job is never done and so forth. <laughs> we'll flip it to, oh, I'm just so grateful that men's footy gets equal billing with <laughs> women's. It's, you know, I, I'm so happy that it's on a, a, in a smaller channel and, oh, my gosh, we got such a little budget. It's awesome. You know, <laughs> just flip it and you wouldn't stand for it. I think that when people say, you know, just be grateful or when they say, why is it such a big deal? It's it's just so obvious that it's not a big deal because it's not a big deal for them, them because mm-hmm. it doesn't have all of the hundreds of years of misogyny underlying it, which makes you really question your identity, your purpose, your vision, you know, your validity, all those kinds of things. We've also looked at things that have we've criticised the AFLW about or things that have been pointed at the AFLW as criticisms, they have brought about changes that have been really actively Mm. great this season. You know, some of the rule changes have been excellent. And so criticism was essential to agitating to change that. And um, I think that there's a huge difference between complaining 
and Mm. criticising. And I think sometimes people who jump in and out of those conversations, especially on Twitter, and it can be really challenging because it's, you know, only a couple of characters, they don't get the nuance of following someone's journey, like Kate O'Halloran, who does constantly bat up lots of awesome ideas, but she is an agitator and she's there for a purpose. Mm -hmm. We really actually do require that Mm. at this point of the game. We do require agitators. We're agitators. People see us as people who are complaining and blah, blah, women's (laughs) rights all the time, but we're not. We're actually trying to constructively help through criticism to champion and to change. And those changes have been made. Do you know how many times I've heard people say AFLM now in just the normal vernacular? Absolutely. And it's normcore. So much so that people are getting panicky that it's going to become a normal thing. And it is a real thing. Too late. (laughs) And the people people running the Masters, the AFLM, which is the Masters competition, they don't care. No. They're they're fine fine. with it. And everyone's trying to protect them so much. You're right. I think criticism is essential. And the one thing that stays with me is I remember I got criticised on this show um, for making a mistake early on and from that point I learnt how to do a great apology, I learnt a really great new resource and I learnt a better way to be more inclusive and have more inclusive language and be more thoughtful to people who I'm not housed in in their group. You know, I, I worked out how to be a better human and to communicate better and and the thing about criticism is it stings and it's that sting that is the launching point to have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So if there's a criticism, it stings because you think I probably can do better. But I wonder whether it's gendered. Does criticism, when it comes out of a female vehicle, does that sound like a complaint? You know, is that how people read it? I think it is. And I I think the challenge, because over the next few weeks, is that we will start to reflect on season three of AFLW. And I think it's really valuable that we do talk about what worked and what didn't. Mm. You know, we're able to have that discussion in a way that is respectful, but is also, you know, quite discerning. That's going to help move it forward in season four. The most difficult criticism to take on is generally the stuff that's bang on and that I have to make myself work harder and look deeper and, and, and find that thing that I was maybe being a little lazy about or not really considering. So it, it does. It makes us better. Life is a work in progress. Criticism, the other C word. <laughs> we are almost about to catch up with um, the Kangaroos coach, Scott Gowans. But before we do, I just want to say we got a great um, message from Pete on Twitter who picked me up saying, um, is saying some of my best friends are in Conference B just enabling casual conferencism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it probably is. A huge game is inbound when North take on Frio and in a quirk of the conference system, a lot rides on it. We are so pleased to be joined by the coach of the Kangaroos, Scott Gowans. How are you, Scott? Good morning. How are we? Well, I'm very pleased to hear that you're up and about. WA is a very long way from home, especially for your Tassie players. How did you make the, How did the trip go? Yeah, it was all right. We, we got up, we left Melbourne at lunchtime yesterday and the Tassie girls got up at about 6am um, from Tasmania, flew to Melbourne, then with us to Perth. So it was interesting. Um, all the messages were coming in at about uh, 3.30 in the morning, Melbourne time. <laughs> <laughs> we're up with breakfast. <laughs> Scott, it's Lucy here. Talking about travelling, you guys have done a lot of your games have been on the road. In fact, last week was the only time you played in metropolitan Melbourne. Is that something that's actually worked well for your team? I think in uh, hindsight it actually has. The girls enjoy getting away as a group and having a bit of a laugh. And I just think it sets their mind so with the job at hand, uh, it's a very different mindset to working all day, then driving to a ground and then 
you know, having to play. So um, I, I like I like it. It's something that um, we may request more of next year. <laughs> uh, Scott, it's Nicole here. Um, you talk about where you've got players coming from Tasmania and you've got your Melbourne players and there are obvious challenges bringing them together. We've watched them, you know, your team play really cohesively as a unit. Obvious challenges, but what were some of the unexpected benefits of having this team spread out? One of the things I'm really big on is um, efficiency over quantity. So a lot of the times, and I've done it in the past as well, but a lot of times you'll pick players or draft players based on how many times they can get clearances and inside 50s and how many possessions they get. But I kind of look at it the other way. Actually, our whole program is built around efficiency. So we talk about ground ball efficiency, inside 50 efficiency, goal kicking efficiency, all that sort of stuff. And that that type of thing is more skill-based. So you can actually work individually on that or in smaller groups. So the Tasmanian program, what it's allowed us to do is have pretty much exactly the same number of coaches in Melbourne that most other teams do, but we've got a smaller group. So we've only got 21 or 22 girls to concentrate on. And then Trent Bartlett's got the Tasmanian crew down there. Um, So he's got seven girls that he can focus with his assistant coach down there, Mick Arnold, to really focus in on the actual skill and the craft. Then when you put all that together, the trick to our whole game plan has really been our efficiencies over the quantities. And again, you know, in hindsight is a wonderful thing, but it actually worked really well to our benefit, I believe. Hi, it's Alicia here. Um, you are such a destination club. So many players seemingly, you know, wanted to play for North Melbourne. How do you sort of balance that history of North Melbourne and then create a culture moving forward? So how do you um, put those two together? I reckon a, a bit of it is that um, we spoke about it right at the start that reputation is what you perceive to be and character is what you are. We really harp back to the Trisha Squires talk she did on our camp down in Hobart and it resonated when she spoke about um, her experiences about being resilient with the tsunami and character was huge for us so we it's kind of a combination of all those traits and what I found was the girls really resonated with that they asked a lot of questions of Trish and she was very open about her experiences and her um, you know I suppose her trial and tribulation of, of surviving that Boxing Day tsunami and um, and it just stuck with the girls and they referenced it so much even um, quarter time breaks and things like that, they always speak about it. So I think it's a it's a natural thing that the group have um, have come together with. And the good thing is, you know, we had a blank canvas. So now we've started painting that canvas that'll last forever. As we go forward, what will happen is they'll be able to fall back on taking a bit of the boys' culture, what they've created this year, and then that does become a selling point. So it's interesting that, you know, we sold it on, on I suppose, hope. Now we actually have something that's very concrete that we can um, show prospective players just how good it is at North Melbourne. We are speaking with Scott Gowans, the coach of the North Melbourne Kangaroos, ahead of um, the big match against Frio. Scott, I have a question for you that was left yep. with me from Shiloh Curtis, who I understand you would know quite well. Yes. Um, she is asking me if Laura Kane is the best recruit that North Melbourne <laughs> managed to secure. <laughs> Can you talk to us about the impact um, Laura Kane has had? Well, she is. Um, and, and I'm not just saying this because she's my boss, but um, she is one of those... <laughs> She is one of those people that you meet maybe once in a lifetime. I've never met anyone like her. Um, she has a compassion about her and an empathy, but she is as tough as they come and uh, not scared to make hard decisions. She just does it with a, a mindfulness that is, is so sincere and very good strategically, great strategic thinker, um, which is why she sits on the competition committee. And I've just found her um, a pleasure to work for because there's little things that will come up where and we all do it, you make a decision or you come up with an idea that is based on your perception of what you see of a player or a style or something like that. And she's 
very quick and very good at um, throwing the counter-argument to you. And sometimes the counter-argument actually either reaffirms what you're thinking or it changes your mind. But there's never, well, very few conversations that we have where we sit down, and, um, whether it's game plan based or personnel based, where we don't at least discuss the alternate, I suppose, angle. And um, what it, what that does do, it means that you, you really are um, crossing those T's and dotting the I's with most things. Scott, it's Lucy again. Um, this game tonight is going to be unlike any pressure that the um, team has come up against. How do you approach that? It was interesting. In the team meeting, we actually haven't mentioned, I think because most of the girls know what, what's going on, um, but we actually haven't mentioned it. We've concentrated on quarter one. So we basically, my message to them in the team meeting last night was don't play today's game tomorrow. So make sure that you you give it everything because if you walk off the field and they beat us, so be it. That's that's fine. But all those little things like the smothers, tackles, blocks, and all that contested type footy, if you give your best effort, you, you might not have a kick. You might have a really rubbish day. But you know, in the last quarter, you might do a great smother. And it could be as simple as that that, that wins us the game. So all those little things, and the more that they believe, because we're not going to have much support over here. We're, <laughs> you, go, you go down the street and get a coffee and you cop it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think it's, it's, it's a matter of us being very insular with that and creating our own vibe and within the group. And as long as they go out and give their, their all and don't leave anything out there, I think that's going to be our focus. So quarter one, must get a good start and, um, and then go from there and we'll just reset each quarter. And it's just following that process. For tonight's game, what do you see as the key matchups and the areas that you really need to take on Frio? Yeah, I think it's, we've got to be really good inside the contest in, in the stoppages and they're very good at, at getting that first hands on the ball and getting it out to their runners. Um, so we'll we'll put a, a bit of work into um, trying to at least nullify that. Um, structurally, we, we've changed a few things around our stoppages to, to suit that. I'm not a big fan of putting numbers in at the contest because I think it just uh, makes it into a, a bit of a scramble and um, I'm, I'm much more comfortable, and I think we've trained this way, to actually take a side on and say, OK, if you're going to kick nine goals, we're going to kick ten. And um, I think that's my philosophy. It's been the philosophy all year. We'll try and do that. So that that does mean though you've got to be resilient, which falls back to what we trained with Trish Squires because you know, there's times the opposition are going to kick two and three in a row, and it's you've got to keep that faith that no, that's okay because we're going to kick four, and that that's the mentality that we need to to stay and not get involved in this um, you know, push and shove inside stoppages and you know make it stoppage after stoppage. It's a, it's a matter of ball movement tonight for us. Without mozzing anything, hypothetically, if you got into the grand final, what song are you going to play in the change rooms? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was me, I'm a little old-fashioned, so I'd go uh, a little bit of Paul Kelly and Leaps and Bounds. Oh, that's all right. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, um, one thing that's come out of this interview with you, Scott, is that we all feel quite certain that there should be a Scott Gowans quote book yes. or um, a quote a day with Scott Gowans or maybe some bumper stickers. I, I feel like that they're definitely, you know, on the cards. One final question is LJ Moorcroft came in here recently um, and she's in the coaching pathways. She's been she's in charge of a very important midfield. Um, how have you been interacting with her and mentoring her during the season? Yeah, so LJ is a super person and, you know, she was she got a little bit of white line fever, which she, <laughs> which she knows. And when I had her at Diamond Creek, um, it was a matter of tempering that. And because of those conversations um, and, uh, and allowing her to sort of concentrate on what she does really well, which is intercept and be really hard at the contest, I found that she actually asked questions that made me think that she could actually be a really good coach one day. 
when we put this together, we I really wanted to get her because I, I knew that she'd be really good and I, I wanted to challenge her. And the way to challenge her is obviously put her in the midfield. So um, she was a little bit um, hesitant at first, but once I explained what we we're going to do and how we we're going to do it, she was all for it. And it's all about communication in there. It's not about teaching Emma Carney and Jenna Bruton to do anything new or anything like that. It's just what what their elite traits are, and they've both got different elite traits, is just getting them better. I think it was it suited LJ because it's not like I'm saying Emma Carney's you know, kicking efficiency needs to improve and Jenna Bruton's marking needs to improve. It's not like that. It's the actual craft inside the stoppage they, that they're really good at, and we wanted to improve that even further. So it was teaching um, old dogs new tricks, if you like, rather than trying to, um, to basically teach them you know, kicks marks handball. So LJ's done a terrific job. We thank you so much for spending time with us on this very important morning, Scott. Thank you so much for joining the Outer Sanctum. We wish you the very best of luck against Frio. Oh, thanks, guys. Anytime. Thank you. That was Scott Gowans, the coach of the Kangaroos. And we did meet him at the season launch for the Kangaroos and he was so delightful and so warm and so welcoming, which has been our um, impression of North Melbourne all along. And, in fact, we have gone into partnership with North Melbourne, Lucy. We have. So um, regular listeners to the Outer Sanctum will know that we started in our first year um, running a thing called the Kick and Coffee, which is basically like Auskick for people who missed out. Um, We are going to be partnering with North Melbourne this year to bring you Kick and Coffee. It's an inclusive event. Everybody's welcome. And it gives people an opportunity to learn or improve on some basic footy skills, but also to have a coffee and catch up, meet some like-minded footy fans. Um, So this is taking place next Sunday at the Arden Street Oval in Melbourne. It's from 10.30 till 12. It's a free event, but you need to register. So to do that, you can either Google North Melbourne Kick and Coffee and the link will come up, or you can find the link via our um, all our socials mm. um, and also mm. and website and also the North Melbourne um, website. And I think that there'll be some North Melbourne people there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say us. too much. It's not going to be just We're not us. teaching you how Boring to kick. <laughs> we're we're going to teach you how to coffee. Yes. That's all <laughs> we'll be bringing. And also we did launch, we're doing a book club, um, Nicole, which has, we've completely oversubscribed, yeah. but we've gone into partnership as well with Vic Health and that's been really exciting. So thank you to everyone who has got on board with that and hopefully there'll be some other events coming up. Nicole. There is on, actually on Wednesday at the Wheeler Centre. This is also for Melbourne people. Um, we uh, uh, There's an AFL wrap with Kate O'Halloran and Kirby Fenwick and I will be there also. So oh. see you there, 6.15. That is a very good combination of people. We thank you for joining us today. We thank Amanda Ferugia, Scott Gowans, Shiloh Curtis and, of course, as always, Tess Armstrong. We're leaving you with Missy Higgins. We assume she wrote this to urge on her demons to get a real uh, percentage boost on the board this weekend. Thank you so much and go, go footy!
thank you so much for joining us today. I have to say we um, started a promotion at the start of the season actually saying, you know, grab your footy, grab your friends and get to a game. And so many of you have done that and you've tagged us in photos. And I can't remember where all those photos are, but I would love to <laughs> compile a whole lot of images of all of the super fans of the Sanctum who have grabbed their footy, grabbed their friends and gone to a game because it has really demonstrated that you got on board, that we weren't complaining, we were maybe criticising, but at times we actually put our, not our money where our mouth is, but we would have if there was a door, if there was a cost to get through the gates. So I would love to see any of those images. Um, if you can send them to us on any of our socials, we're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, make sure you're following us there because we do continue the conversation. The other thing that is essential and fantastic for us is receiving your reviews and making sure that you're clicked to subscribe to this podcast just because the AFLW is coming to an end. We continue all the year through until it's Christmas and it's snowing outside. (laughs) So please subscribe, grab the phone of your most loved misogynist and accidentally download it on their phone as well. Tell a friend, send us a review. We would love that. Thank you very much for your support. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 